Perfect. Let's get into this morning's message. If you want to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 13, we'll be there, kind of like we were last week. And uh, before we get into that, I've got a question for you guys again this morning. Uh, Is anyone else a sucker for good advertisement? Anybody like a sucker, like good advertisement, it gets you. Like, that's my favorite part about the Super Bowl, honestly, if the Packers are not in it, right, is all the advertisements, all of the commercials, good advertisement can draw you in. And it's funny because we are a people who likes new things. We like new things. There'll be an ad for something, and I already have that thing, but I've got the old thing. And before too long, they've convinced me that the old thing that I have is not good enough anymore, and I need the new thing. Any of you guys admit that you're those crazy people that wait in line for products? Like the Xbox or the PS5 comes out, right? All those kids, they're out there on the sidewalk. Like the new iPhone comes out and that, that, that's the kid that's huddled up in the sleeping bag on the sidewalk, right? Anybody of you guys ever do that? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand because we will judge you. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. This is church. We don't do that. But we got to have the new thing. The latest and greatest, and we can do all these mental gymnastics to justify why we need it. We've got the old thing, but the old thing is just not good. This thing hardly works anymore. It's so old, right? But it's fine. You know it's fine, but you're like, ah, I've got to have the new thing. But sometimes these advertisements are so good at telling you why it's so new or revolutionary. It's got all the new features. It's got all the new redesign. And when you get it, have you ever been, like, disappointed? You're like... Is it, is, like, is this thing, it's not new. They moved the buttons a little bit, and, and, or they got rid of all the buttons, and now all my old cords don't work anymore. You know that? You need, like, a backpack for all your adapters and your dongles and all those other things. You get it, and you're like, this, is it new? It's all, not all that new at all. I think it's funny when car companies do this. Because they all talk about an all-new redesign for 2022, the Chevy Cruze, right, or whatever it is. And you look at it, and it's like you put different wheels on it, and you move the taillights a little bit. But it's the same car. It's the same thing. So today, we're going to look at the book of John. Again, chapter 13. And Jesus, at the end of chapter 13, he introduces something new. And when you read it, on the surface, I hope you don't fall into the trap of thinking, man, this doesn't seem all that new. When you read it, you're going to go, this is new? Is, is it really new? Or is it just something kind of repackaged and brought forth to us? But today, my hope is that we would see the beautiful and profound nature of this new command that Jesus gives. That we would see the beauty and profound nature of a love that comes from him, and that we would do some deep searching in our lives, and hopefully today some real repenting, that we would take the word of God in our lives and we would push them together and go, okay, where my life is out of step with your word, oh God, please give me the courage and the strength and the humility that we talked about last week to bring this life, maybe even just like the, 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 the ruts we get stuck in, you know what I'm talking about? Like we just, we're, sometimes we're just stuck in life, stuck going through everyday motions. That we would bring this life and even those ruts in alignment with the word of God. And so let's read our text together. John chapter 13, 
starting in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Before we get into this, let's pray once again over, the, over God's word this morning. So, Father, we thank you and praise you. We come before you. And, God, I guess my big prayer today is just for humble hearts. God, that same humility that we talked about last week, the same humility that's supposed to permeate the heart and the life of a believer, of someone who says we follow Jesus, that humility would be found in us. And God, that we would also have the courage and the strength by your spirit, God, to bring these lives in alignment to your word. That we would be bold obeyers of your word to the glory of your name. That we would truly be your church to the glory of Jesus. We pray all this in that wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. So our text this morning starts off with saying, now is the Son of Man glorified, that the hour has come. And remember, I talked about this a few weeks ago in chapter 12, that all of Jesus' ministry, it's been like, not yet, not yet, not yet. My hour has not come yet. The time has not come yet for the Son of Man to be glorified. Basically, he's talking about his death. Way back when, when he was saying all those things, that it's not time yet, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. But we are in the night before Jesus is being arrested. The time is now. The time is now where the, the God of the universe, that the Son of Man will be glorified, that God will be glorified through the obedience of Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins. What strikes me about this is that now is the time, right, for him to go and to die. And I pointed this out a few weeks ago, but Jesus died to himself way before the cross. He started his ministry, he started his life by leaving an exalted heavenly throne and coming down to this earth, putting on flesh and dwelling among us, right? John chapter 1. He humbled himself. He said yes to the Father. He humbled himself and came to be the, uh, to, his sinless life would be our righteousness. His death on the cross, his blood poured out would be our atonement and our covering. That in him, by faith in him, that we would stand righteous, justified before a holy God. He said yes to the will of the Father. Even when he teaches his disciples to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You guys know it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His 
his goal, his prayer, his life lived to the will of the Father. He died to himself every day saying yes to his Father. What a challenge that is to my heart, to my heart, to humble myself, to say yes to the will of God daily for me. I don't live for this world. I don't live for me. I don't live for the things of this world, for comforts of this world, for uh, all the beautiful things that this life has to offer, especially out here in this beautiful Lake Country area. My life is no longer my own. It's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. What a cost that was. So now I live to the glory of his name. And so he starts in our text here today. He says, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. We have a real problem with people telling us what to do, don't we? I mean, I do. I'll just say I do. Hopefully you're, like, you'll be honest enough to be with me on that, or maybe I am alone. I doubt it. But I have a real problem with people telling me what to do. Have you ever had someone tell you what to do? And you're like, whoa, hey, who are you? Like, who are you in my life to tell me what to do? Not just young people, but even us old people. We are sovereign. We are autonomous. But Jesus commands. And I want you to make no mistake, okay? And I want you to really, like like I said in my prayer this morning, I want you to evaluate your life. Are we a commanded people? Are you a commanded person? Are you under the authority of Christ? The answer should be yes. We are fully under the authority of Christ. And when the Lord speaks, and when his word speaks, we take those commandments to heart. And it's always my goal in my prayer that we wouldn't reluctantly obey the Father's will, that we wouldn't reluctantly obey the scriptures like a teenager sulking when you told him to go mow the grass. I remember doing that as my dad would tell me, like my dad would be like, hey, Kev, it's time to go mow the grass. Get out there. I'm like, oh, fine. Ugh. I want to love the will of the Father. I want to love his word. That's why over the last few months, I've been talking about us beholding Christ. I've been using that word very specifically because I want us to see him and behold him. I want our eyes to be opened by the Spirit of God like he opened that blind man, that, was, that man that was born blind, that our eyes would be opened to the beauty and the fullness of Christ, that we would behold him and behold his word, and we would see it as precious and life, like Scripture calls it. That we would love it and obey it, not as a sulking teenager, oh, i got to cut the grass, make my bed, oh, because it's good for me, because Dad told me to that we would love him, and that we would love his will, that we would love his word, and we would say, absolutely, because I know your word is life. So he offers a new commandment, and we, as believers, are people under authority. We are commanded people by our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I read that commandment this morning, did you think, kind of like I set it up in our, in our introduction today, did you think, A new commandment I give to you? Like, is it new? Really? To love one another, that's new? 
What's so new about love? What's so special and revolutionary about this new commandment? And that's what we're going to try to discover today. Verse 34 again, it says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And here's the big part. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. See, this commandment is new because it's the Jesus way of love. Right? Like I said, God entered humanity. He put on flesh in John chapter 1, and he dwelt among us. He left, that he condescended. He came down. Almost every other major religion in the world is all about man working his way up. Almost every other religion in the world, it's all about us getting to God. It's all about us working our way up, trying to attain, trying to get to, trying to reach, trying to uh, be good enough to get to God. But in Christ, in Christianity, it is so beautiful. It undoes all of it because God himself condescended to man. God himself humbled himself and came to us to serve us. It is mind-blowing. That God so loved the world that he gave his son. That son put on flesh and dwelt among us. He came into the world and put on that corruptible flesh. He felt the pains that you feel. God is familiar with your pains. With your heartache, with your sickness... With your, with your turmoil, with your temptations, God can sympathize with you because he served us by coming. He feels all of that. Yet he was without sin. He knows all of that so that we might behold his glory and that we would believe in his name. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, again reminds us why this book was written. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that, you might, that by believing you may have life in his name. This is, not, this is not light stuff. This is eternal life stuff. We would behold him, see him. See his great love in the way that he entered humanity. See his great love in the way he went to the cross. But we have an example that is far closer than all of that right in our text. See, God loves us, and he humbled himself. We talked extensively about that last week. He humbled himself. He's motivated by that love, and he came into this broken world, yes, to go to the cross to redeem us, but he came into this world to actually show us what real love, God-defined love, looks like. What this new commandment of love is all about. It's a new commandment. It's a new love because it's the love just like Jesus loved. And you have, like I said, we have this beautiful example right here in our text. We talked about it last week. When Jesus got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. He says, you call me teacher. You call me Lord, and you are right because I am that. 
And he goes to the most objectionable part of a person. He goes to their feet. The person, uh, the, the part of the person that everyone avoided. The job that was reserved for slaves and servants. Dirty feet. Dusty roads. Animal feces. He washes dirty feet because he loves them. Peter, last week, he said in verse 8, he says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not, uh, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, exclamation point. You see, this new love, this new commandment that Jesus commands, this new love, this real love, is a love that serves. It's a love that serves. Now, Right there, evaluate your love. It's a love that gives. It's a love that does. Is that your love? It's countercultural, unfortunately, but not surprisingly. The love we see in the world is not a love that serves, it's very transactional. You understand what I mean by that? Like, if you do this, like, you love this person, and then, like, you expect some love in return. You expect something in return. It's, there's a transaction that happens. I see this, unfortunately, all the time in marriages. All the time in marriages. Any married folks in here? Any married folks in here? Like, you can woo-hoo about that. I said this, I said this in Bayview as well. Like, like you can woo-hoo about marriage. It's awesome. There you go. Marriage is awesome. And when people are getting married, people will give you advice, even if you don't ask for it. They will give you advice on getting married. And I have the, I have the, beautiful, the, the, the beautiful opportunity and privilege to counsel couples as they're getting uh, closer to marriage, do some pre-marriage counseling with folks, and it's great. And I always warn them about aunts and uncles who are going to give them advice. And like one of the worst pieces of advice that people give, and they're well-intentioned, they're great, and you may have gotten this advice, and, or maybe you've given this advice, where somebody would be like, hey, marriage is all about give and take. Right? It's all like people say, it's give and take. It's compromise. It's, you know, 50-50. And I'm like, give and take? Really? When I look at scripture, when I look at love, when I look at real God defined love. When I look at the new commandment of love, there is no take in love. There's only give. There is only give. When two become one, when, uh, when two people come together in love, in relationship, it is only give. A lot of times, marriage problems are masked by communication problems, communication issues, or all this different stuff. Most of them, they all break down to just simple, simple gospel issues. Most of the time, it comes down to understanding love. And sometimes, I think people have gotten some really bad advice that it's give and take. You see, when you've got two people that come together, and one person is giving all of himself to the other person, and maybe she's given all of herself to him. Neither one of them have to worry about their needs being met. Neither one of them have to worry about protecting themselves because the other person has their back 
And so you're free. It wor- like it works beautifully because Christ gave himself for the church. Ephesians chapter 5, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Expecting nothing in return. While they were sinners, while they were enemies of God, he loved them so much that he gave himself for them. And in response, the church looked at it. If you're a Christian in this, in this room, I, I, I'm pretty sure that you didn't come to Christ because he's like, hey, and submit, or hey, but you saw his love. You saw his great love for you. You saw, like, I'm a sinner. I'm wretched. I am unclean. And you still died for me? You still gave everything for me? And in turn, wives, submit to your husbands as the church does to Christ. You said, I'm yours. I gladly place my life in your hands. I gladly place my faith in you. And that faith we talked about over, uh, well, a few months ago, actually. But that f- the word for faith in Scripture is not just like a belief, not just a mental assent, but it is a, ca- the, one of the definitions I came across in a concordance somewhere was that I cast my life at the feet of Jesus. But I trust you so much that I give everything in return. So just please make no mistake, marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100. It's not give and take, it's give and give. And if you give and give, it works beautifully. And more importantly, brings glory to Christ. Because it's the love that comes from him. I'm not saying it's easy all the time, okay? I'm not saying that the flesh doesn't rise up sometimes, and I'm selfish and my wife has to deal with it. Sorry, babe. But she's gracious. The Lord rearranges my heart, reorients my heart, and I give, and I give, and I give. If you're struggling in a relationship, struggling in a marriage, or maybe it's just not as full as it should be, maybe it's just kind of mundane and stuck in a rut, husbands, wash your wife's feet. Well, some of the wives are like, nah, don't touch my feet. Like I said, wash the dishes. Put down your phone and help out with the chaos that is called bedtime. Any parents, any kids in here? Like, bedtime is a real, it's a real deal. It's a real deal. And if you want to love your spouse, just get in that fray once in a while. Help brush some teeth once in a while. Oh, man. Your marriage is struggling, or if you're in a, if you have a relationship that is struggling, serve your spouse, humble yourself, and serve because real love, the new commandment of love, is one of service. Let your love be expressed in the service of others. Is that your love today? Is the love you have for your spouse or the love you have for your kids or the love you have for your neighbors, is it the real new love that Jesus has shown us? Is it washing feet kind of love? Is it serving kind of love? Or did you settle for some flesh-filled redefining of a convenient, cheap, less expensive, less costly love? I think a lot of us have done that. We've settled for a flesh-filled Convenient and cheap love. 
You see, not only is this love, this new commandment, this Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, the master, the rabbi, the teacher, getting down low, going low for his disciples. But it's also in opposition to our nature. To our nature. Right? We know that lords are not supposed to be under someone. We know that kings are not supposed to serve. We know that teachers and masters are not supposed to wash feet. But we also know that God is not supposed to die. God, God isn't supposed to die. But yet we read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, which we talked about last week, that's the bedrock of all of this. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, having this mindset, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God himself not grasping to his divinity emptying himself, letting go of his rightly place. If anyone has a position that doesn't need to serve, it's going to be God. Verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this new commandment, this love as Christ his love is born out of service. But if we don't humble ourselves like we said last week and die to ourselves as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we will not love as Christ loves. And so simply put, death is dying. Right? Love is death and death is dying. Jesus showed his love in washing of feet, and he's going to show it so beautifully in a couple of, gosh, in a couple of hours. He's going to show it by going to the cross. A couple chapters further on from where we are in our text in John chapter 15, it says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I love you. Right? It's exactly the same. It's the same phrasing. It's probably the same discourse. It's probably the same teaching in the same evening. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, than someone were to die for you. We have a very romanticized uh, version of this. I think when we look at this, like, it, it feels like, bro, I'd die for you, man. Dudes are like that a lot. You guys, us guys, you guys, I I'll throw myself in there. Us guys, right? We all like start broing out and like, dude, I'd take a bullet for you, man. I'd die for you, bro. Like, start doing stuff like that, all weird stuff. I'd die for you. Like, hey, how about you grab your truck and help me move a couch? You're like, ah, I'm busy. <laughs> like, I'd die for you, bro. Like, it's like this super like romanticized, like, like you'll never have to take a bullet for them. Jesus calls you to die. Calls you to serve, calls you to calls you to humble yourself and lay down your life for your friends. So to love like Jesus loved, 
We need to serve like Jesus served. To serve like Jesus served, we need to die like Jesus died. You guys get that progression? To love like Jesus loved, the new, this new commandment of love, to love like he loved, we need to serve like Jesus served. And to serve like Jesus served, we need to die like Jesus died. Working our all, way back, I love how 12, chapter 12 and 13 are so beautifully connected when Jesus calls us all to die. I remind you of, a, I think, a quote I used a couple weeks ago from John Piper. My dying for your salvation is also my design for your imitation. Right? His dying for our salvation is his design for our imitation. Jesus shows us love by washing feet, by serving. But it started with him, like I said, by saying yes to the Father at the very beginning. Yes to his will, his design, his purpose, and yes, ultimately, to the cross. Jesus dying on the cross, displaying his great love. Our calling to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, to live and to serve, to love like him, is in response to the way that he loved us. I've been saying this over the last couple of weeks, and it's really like since our, since our stewardship series a few months ago, like this is really, it really has helped me think differently about everything. But when we look at this love, we see that God is the ultimate giver. And I think people have a, has, have a really, if you view God as taker, none of this works. If you view God as a taker, that he is a demander of things, and he's just taking away all of your stuff, you don't get it yet. You don't see clearly yet. You don't behold him yet. Like when you see the call of Christ and you're like, well, he, he's demanding my life from me. He's taking all of my fun. It's just a list of, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. You, you don't understand yet. I, and I hate to say it this way, you don't get it yet. You need your eyes opened by the Holy Spirit to the beauty of him and the beauty of his word. When you see the beauty of him and how he gave everything, that he is not a taker or demander of anything, but when you see and behold, you so gladly and willingly give everything. Yes, we must give everything, but we won't give everything unless we behold, unless we see his great love, the way that he came and humbled himself and served us and died. We won't die and serve and love like him unless we see it all. Behold it all and see it as the surpassing worth, the treasure. A couple of real practical little things here that happen when, happens when we love like Jesus loves, when we get this new commandment. When we understand this new commandment. When we love like Jesus loved, we need to serve like Jesus served. To serve like Jesus served, we need to die like Jesus died. When we die to ourselves and love like he loves, this is what happens. First off, love reconciles. This new commandment of love reconciles. So, um, I think we know a lot of these scriptures. We know a lot of the idea of reconciliation, right? Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. Everything is broken. Everything is broken. I, I was walking around our, our house this week, frustrated, a little bit depressed, um, frustrated that everything is breaking. Like, and you, when you have kids, 
everything is breaking all the time. And sometimes I feel like I can't keep up. I'm always fixing something. There's always something broken, and I have to fix it all because everything is broken. And I'm, like, fixing very practical things around the yard, and I'm like, this is because of sin. It's just because of sin that this thing is broken. It's because of sin that everything is broken. And it is. The biggest thing that was broken was our relationship with God. Our relationship with God severed. A holy, righteous God and me cannot coexist. I am filthy. I'm, I'm just telling you, as your pastor, this is me, okay? Filthy, rotten, wretched, full of selfishness, full of sinfulness. It's just what it is. I was born that way. Came into the world this way. I can't stand with a holy God, the God who dwells in unapproachable light. There's no way. I would get close to that, and I would melt. <laughs> but Jesus loved me, loved me, came to this earth, died the most brutal death. I've seen how he loves me, and I put my faith in him. His blood covers my sin, makes them whiter than snow. His sinless life, his perfect fulfillment of all the law, that God, uh, the, the, all the requirements of the law, his righteousness placed on me by faith. Now I'm clean, pure, able to stand before a holy God because of Jesus. His love reconciles. You have a broken relationship. You have a, a marriage that is full of turmoil. You have a neighbor who you're yelling at over the fence, whatever, like, love reconciles. Love, I'm trying not to look specific people in the eye right now because I know some stories in here, okay? Uh, love reconciles. Love brings this person and this person together, even when that person's a jerk, <laughs> right? If you're looking at that person and go, well, they don't deserve it, you don't understand love yet. You don't understand what Jesus did for you yet. I see it all the time. Like, I see in marriage relationships especially, but, but in all sorts of relationships. We withhold love or we withhold service we, because we're not humble. We look at them and we go, they don't deserve it. Either did we. We were enemies. 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 And he loved us. Scripture is clear. We are to love our enemies. It's not whether or not they deserve it. We love because Jesus loved. We loved because Jesus loved. And so, love reconciles, first off. So love, love like Jesus loved. That's what's new about this commandment. Love reconciles, number two. When you love like Jesus loved and when you serve others, it puts a nail in your flesh. Um, I don't know if you remember Galatians chapter 5. Yeah, Galatians 5, in that whole walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the flesh. Uh, one of the very last verses, verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so when I actually humble myself and serve like Jesus served, love like Jesus loved, I put another nail in this flesh. One more nail in this flesh to keep. How many of you know that that old man, the old, the old flesh, the old self, does not like to stay dead? Doesn't like to stay dead. 
likes to rise up, likes to get up, likes to walk around, right? And I have to be that living sacrifice. I got to put that, like, get up on that altar one more time, lay myself down again. When you love like Jesus loves, it puts another nail in the flesh. That we would walk by the Spirit. That we would not allow the flesh to rule, but that Christ in his word would rule our hearts and our lives. Okay, so when you love like Jesus loved, it puts another nail in the flesh. Number three, when uh, just as Jesus was glorified in the cross and the laying down of his life, when we lay down our lives in love through acts of service, this new commandment of love, when we do love, we bring great glory to Christ. It's why we exist. It's why we've been made. It's why we've been redeemed to bring glory to Christ. And so, as we wrap up today, have you looked at this new commandment of love and thought to yourself, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. It's too hard. It's too much. It's too big. I can't do it in my flesh. Of course not. God knew this. God knew this. He knew what he was calling us to. He knew when he says, obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. We're going to read that in a couple of weeks here. He knew how hard it was. And he had the solution already in plan. He had the plan already dreamed up, already in process. He gave himself. He gave his Holy Spirit. In, in a couple of weeks here, we're going to look at John 14. When Jesus promises the Holy Spirit that not, will not only be with them, but will also be in them. We can't love like this without the Spirit of God in us. Being, transforming us, like making us new, yes, for salvation right off the bat, but continuing to refine us and sanctify us through the whole process. A lot of times we... We don't press into the Spirit of God in our lives. We just try harder to do it on our own. And then when you try harder on your own and you fail, then you're left with discouragement. <laughs> but he's given us himself. How awesome is God that he would call us to something and then not leave us lacking in anything to do it. He's given us his Spirit. He's given us his Word. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the way that he has given us his spirit to actually love the way he loved us. And so in this place, as we go to a time of worship once again, and we respond to this morning's message, as I prayed to start this service, I want us to do some deep reflection on our lives. Do we love just as he has loved us? Do we serve like Jesus served us? If our life is not full of service, if our life is not full of acts of love, we can't say we love because this new commandment of love is just as I have loved you is born out of him washing disciples' feet, laying himself down, not just words, it's not just feelings, it's action. It's the church of Jesus Christ being empowered by the Spirit of God to live, to act, to serve boldly to the glory of Jesus.
And so if you have to repent today, praise God. I do too. <laughs> let's do that together. And let's be changed by His Spirit. Let's invite His Spirit to further work in our lives. Let's invite His Holy Spirit to route out that flesh a little bit more. So that we can actually do this. That we can actually live like this. That when it's not just events that we do in July, which I'm glad we're providing those, whatever. But when we go out of these doors, we're serving our families. We're serving our neighbors. We're serving our spouses. We're serving our kids. Our kids, we're serving our parents. Okay? Let's do some work with the Holy Spirit here. Let's stand, I'll pray, and then we'll worship and you do some business here. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit alive in us. I pray, oh God, that you would be glorified in your church. That God, where our lives don't align with your words, God, that we would boldly repent and invite your spirit into us even more. That you would work in us, that you would work through us, and that we would love like you loved us. That we would serve like you served us. That we would humble ourselves and die to ourselves and love like you loved. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.